Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811. It's Friday. Some people kick back. They come up with gimmicks. Our foot's on the gas pedal, baby. We plow right into the weekend. That's what we do. Well, folks, the suburbs. We spent a lot of time over the years talking about the suburbs. Would the suburbs be destroyed with the central planners? By expanding the the development, expanding the reach, expanding the politics and the economics of our cities, run very, very poorly, of course, to the suburbs. The inner suburbs and then the outer suburbs. Starting with schooling, zoning, taxing. This is the goal. This is the goal of the American Marxist. They do not like single-family homes. They do not like people driving cars. They have all kinds of plans in mind, like the old Soviet Union. They want very dense areas so they can control the people, control what they do, control what they eat, control what they wear. Oh, do you have your mask on? with their video cameras and their social credit scores and all the rest. We're only about 20 years behind some of these more autocratic regimes. Because these ideas that the American Marxist comes up with, they're not new. They're just marketed differently to the American public. And what else is not new is they have basically a monopolistic media that mouths what they want and supports what they want. So even in this radical website slate, truly radical, Henry Grabar writes, 
Can you force the suburbs to build apartments? Massachusetts is trying. Now, you know, as somebody who studies history a lot, it really is a sickening irony that so many of these ideas come out of the original colonies and so many more come out of Massachusetts and Boston, which was the center, the beginning of the revolution. Even if some towns have to go kicking and screaming, they write. Build up or pay up. That's the message Massachusetts is sending to 175 cities and suburbs in the Boston area. As a bill passed last year to boost housing production begins to take effect. Almost every jurisdiction in eastern Massachusetts, from the New Hampshire border to Worcester to the Cape Cod Canal, will have to do its part zoning for 344,000 new units of as-of-right multifamily housing or lose access to some state grant programs. That means allowing apartments in many Tony subdivisions currently reserved for single-family homes. For perspective, all of Massachusetts currently builds just 15,000 new units a year, a huge drop-off from the 20th century. One reason the Boston area has some of the highest rents and home prices in the country. Well, who cares? It's the way it goes. Massachusetts is the first state to actually get a policy like this, said Jesse Grogan at the Cambridge-based Lincoln Institute of Land Policy. Are the incentives strong enough? Probably not, but it will have some impact and more than the other housing tools we've tried. The great central planners see, ladies and gentlemen... In some ways, Massachusetts, it's thriving. Employment is high. Incomes are among the highest in the nation. In spite of that, population declined between 2020 and 2021, a trend that reflects the state's crushing housing shortage. No, it reflects the state's radicalism, massive tax increases, and regulations. As in California and Oregon, policymakers in Massachusetts have realized that splintered metropolitan governments are structurally incapable of effectively addressing the issue. Few towns want to change, and nobody wants to go first. And so what do you do about it? You centralize decision-making. And give control to people who don't live in the communities. So far, West Coast states have had more success breaking down apartment bans than East Coast peers like Maryland and Connecticut. Notice these are all blue states. But the East is catching up. Pro-housing reforms, everything's a reform when you're a Marxist, suddenly seem viable in Albany. Some are modeled after Massachusetts, where unlike most Republicans, Governor Charlie Baker, utter disaster, has not let contempt for the poor outweigh pro-growth instinct. Contempt for the poor? My God, the vast amount of redistribution of wealth, what is that for? The poor. Baker thinks the Bay State's crimped housing production is at the root of its affordability crisis. It's an equity problem, an economic development problem. It's a community development problem, he told reporters last spring. Makes huge differences with respect to where people can actually afford to live here in the Commonwealth, whether or not they can stay and where they may make decisions about where to start a family. Liberal housing experts agree and add that it's an environmental problem. Building restrictions in central areas force families to relocate into car-dependent sprawl. What did I tell you? And I've also said on the airwaves here, probably over the last 20 years, it's only a matter of time 
only a matter of time when they limit how big your house can be and how many cars you can have and how far you can drive. It's only a matter of time until they ration fuel to force you into public transportation in more dense areas. And yet, we learned even from the pandemic that density can be a very bad thing. A very bad thing. But this is again an attack on growth. It's an attack on success. It's not even an attack on rich people. There are many suburban areas that aren't filled with rich people. They're filled with people who pay for their, pay their own way, pay for themselves, who've worked hard, who've left dangerous neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, wherever they may be, and they wanted their own home. They wanted a plot of land. They wanted private property. And you see, this is a war on private property, folks. I say it over and over again. So when you have riots two years ago in the inner cities, people's stores are being destroyed and their homes and whatnot, the left doesn't care about that. Private property is not, a, not an issue to them unless it's their private property. Baker's 2021 Economic Development Bill included zoning and permitting reform. Now, this is a Republican. But the biggest gambit was the multifamily housing mandate for the Boston suburbs. As Michael Keneally, Massachusetts Secretary of Housing and Economic Development, said in a webinar this month, quote, our housing strategy could be simply summarized as more types of housing everywhere. The mandate applies to places served by or adjacent to stations of the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. Oh, really? I think we figured this out. The state agency that operates the buses and trains that fan out of Boston. The so-called MBTA communities include fishing towns, post-industrial cities, and rural outposts. But the highest burden falls on Boston's bedroom communities, such as Quincy and Newton whose excellent transit infrastructure is compromised by complicated and exclusionary zoning rules. See, now it's exclusionary. If you want to have a suburb, the existence of a suburb, the fact of a suburb, is racist. In and of itself. In and of itself. If you want a single-family home, that's racist in and of itself. It's unequal. Folks, I haven't been kidding about any of this. And it's not just housing. The whole purpose of the book American Marxism is to explain what's taking place in this society. The mindset, the policies, the agenda. How they're changing laws and imposing their will against the rest of us. Take Newton where the median home sells for $1.4 million. Well, what's the right price? $600,000, $800,000, $1.2 What's the right price? It's a large suburb of 88,000 souls, seven miles from Boston Common. It has 10 stations of light rail and commuter rail. But the residency density around those stops, according to the Massachusetts Housing Partnership Transit-Oriented Development Explorer, woo, never exceeds five units on an acre. Now, you've had suburbs that have not won a lot of density over half century. And so they'll say, like, you can only develop that land if maybe it was farmland or land near a park or historic areas, you know, one house per two acres, four acres, five acres. It's done all the time. But that's the problem. 
They don't like it. The medium across all MBTA stations is 6.2 homes per acre. The state now requires MBTA communities include at least one district with 15 homes per acre. 15 homes per acre. You know what that is? It's an apartment building. Or a very small townhouse community. That corresponds to a relatively dense but recognizably suburban fabric, such as townhomes or duplexes around shared yards, writes the author. There was a time in this country when the mindset was go to school, work hard, make something of yourself, become a success. And you could, you could buy a single family home and raise your family. That was the American dream. Now the American dream is said to be a nightmare by the central planners, by the politicians. Where do they get off deciding what kind of a home somebody can live on? Where do they get off trying to take aim at the suburbs or rural areas? Where do they get off using public transit, which you and I are forced to pay for, as a hook to change communities? Under compliance with the new law, Newton would realistically need more than one district since the state is requiring it to create by-right zoning capacity for 8,330 apartments. So it's a suburb of 88,000 people. And now they're compelling them to create 8,330 apartments. That's overwhelming. That's overwhelming. It's outrageous. And I predict they think they're losing a population now. Just wait. But where did government get this power? to compel people to live this way. These are frightening times. States aren't pushing liberty. Localities aren't pushing liberty. The feds certainly aren't pushing liberty. The courts aren't upholding liberty. These are frightening, frightening times. What goes on in these classrooms? Our children are being indoctrinated about the most perverted and hateful things imaginable? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love free to make it possible for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for free. Imprimus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. 
Start receiving your own free copy of this great Digest of Liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. It is amazing what's considered progress in this country these days. It's amazing how much people will tolerate. It's amazing what people will vote for. I think. There's been a war going on now in the suburbs, for the suburbs. And it's, of course, being led by the Democrats. It's a war against the suburbs. Why? Because the Democrat Party and the American Marxists see a lot of opportunity there. Money. Money. They have failed in the inner cities. They have failed because they're anti-investment. They're anti-profit. They're anti-private property. I'm talking about the leadership. They're anti-law and order. They're anti-competition, particularly when it comes to schools. They run these cities with an iron fist. They embrace a Soviet style of management and economy as opposed to an American style. And then they use propaganda, the way the Marxists do, to deflect from what they're doing, and quite, in fact, even worse, to redefine what they're doing as humane and compassionate. And then they create enemies, the white dominant culture, the suburbs, capitalism, you name it. The private sector, private schools, parochial schools, profit, wealth. And so what you have in many of these cities, and I'm not talking where all the big office buildings are, but a lot of the communities, is what you have in the third world in terms of buildings, the lack of services, the lack of restaurants, the lack of fresh food, supermarkets. And so the very people who've created these conditions say, okay, we have an idea. We're not going to give up power. We're not going to give up our ideology. We've benefited from this in many respects. We want to expand our reach. And they look over the border. It's the same way with the national central government. The Democrats say... We've destroyed New York and California and Illinois and these other states. And we've destroyed New Jersey and Massachusetts and we're destroying them more. Let's rob from the red states. Let's force them, force them to comply with what we tell them to do. That's what's going on here in Massachusetts with zoning with a fool like this guy. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. 
There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin, radio's hell-raising intellectual. Call now, 877-381-3811. Glenn Greenwald is an interesting gentleman. He's fairly radical. He's hard left. But he's principled. He's very interesting. He's sort of a mix of a hardcore leftist and a libertarian, if you ask me. But he's intellectually honest. The man has integrity. He doesn't care about party. doesn't care what team you're on. And that's what makes him, I think, more than interesting, even influential. And on his own blog site, he's written a fantastic piece Congress's January 6th committee claims absolute power as it investigates citizens with no judicial limits. We've talked about this. The committee plotted with J.P. Morgan and its lawyer, former Obama AG Loretta Lynch, to obtain a citizen's financial records with no possibility of judicial review. Now let's take a little bit of time going over this. Because the corrupt Democrat Party media won't. In its ongoing attempt to investigate and gather information about private U.S. citizens, the Congressional January 6th Committee is claiming virtually absolute powers that not even the FBI or other law enforcement agencies enjoy. Indeed, lawyers for the committee have been explicitly arguing that nothing proscribes or limits their authority to obtain data regarding whichever citizens they target, and even more radically, that the checks imposed on the FBI, such as the requirement to obtain judicial authorization for secret subpoenas, do not apply to the committee. There are serious constitutional doubts about the existence of the committee itself. We've talked about that. Under the Constitution and McCarthy-era Supreme Court cases interpreting it, the power to investigate crimes lies with the executive branch, supervised by the judiciary and not with Congress. Congress does not have the power to conduct investigations, but that power, excuse me, power, Congress does have the power to conduct investigations, but that power is limited to two narrow categories. One, when doing so, it is designed to assist in its lawmaking duties, and two, in order to exert oversight over the executive branch. What Congress is barred from doing, as two McCarthy-era Supreme Court cases ruled, is exactly what the January 6th Committee is now doing conducting a separate parallel criminal investigation in order to uncover political crimes committed by private citizens. Such powers are dangerous precisely because Congress's investigative powers are not subject to the same safeguards as the FBI and other law enforcement agencies. And just as was true of the 1950s House Un-American Activities Committee, now again, I told you who the gentleman is and why he's writing this, and yet interestingly enough, I think I pointed this out last week, did I not, Rich? That prompted those Supreme Court rulings. The January 6th committee is not confining its invasive investigative activities to executive branch officials or even citizens who engaged in violence or other illegality on January 6th, 
but instead is investigating anyone and everyone who exercised their constitutional rights to express views about and organize protests over their belief that the 2020 presidential election contained fraud. Indeed, the committee's initial targets appear to be taken from the list of those who applied for protest permits in Washington, a perfectly legal, indeed constitutionally protected act. This abuse of power is not merely abstract. The Congressional January 6th Committee has been secretly obtaining private information about American citizens in mass, telephone records, email logs, internet and browsing history, and banking transaction. And it has done so without any limitations or safeguards, no judicial oversight, no need for warrants, no legal limits of any kind. Any so-called journalists listening out there? Any? Indeed, the committee has been purposely attempting to prevent citizens who are the targets of their investigative orders to have any opportunity to contest the legality of this behavior in a court. In October, the committee sent dozens, if not hundreds, of subpoenas to telecom companies demanding a wide range of email and other Internet records and without any legal basis requested that those companies not only turn over those documents but refrain from notifying their own customers of the request. If the companies were unwilling to comply with this so-called request, then the committee requested that they either contact the committee directly or just disregard the request. In other words, the last thing they wanted was to enable one of their targets to learn that they were actually being investigated because that would enable them to seek a judicial ruling about the legality of the committee's actions. But now, the committee is escalating its aggressive investigative actions. They've begun sending subpoenas to private banks, demanding the banking records of private citizens, and doing so such that either the person never finds out or finds out too late to obtain a judicial order about the legality of the committee's behavior. Now, they ta- he talks about a case. I want you to listen to this. In one case, they targeted J.P. Morgan with these subpoenas while knowing that the bank is being represented by former Obama Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Lynch, unsurprisingly, then directed her client, that's again, J.P. Morgan, not to accommodate any requests from its own customers to ensure that they can seek judicial review. On November 22 this year, excuse me, last year, a few months back, the January 6th committee served a subpoena on Taylor Budowich. Taylor, or Butterwich, I should say, Taylor Butterwich, a former spokesman for the Trump campaign who never worked for the United States government, that requested a wide range of documents as well as his deposition testimony. On December 14 last month, Butterwich voluntarily complied by handing over a large amount of his personal records, and then on December 22, he flew to Washington, D.C. at his own expense and submitted to questioning. There is no suggestion that Butterwich was engaged in any violence or other illegal acts at the Capitol on January 6th. Their only interest in this private citizen is his connection to the Trump campaign and his stated view that he believed the 2020 election was marred by fraud. After he furnished the committee with those documents and then testified, Butterwich learned from others that the committee was issuing subpoenas directly to the banks used by other individuals for their personal accounts. He thus requested that his lawyer notify his own bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, that he would object to their cooperation with any subpoena without first uh, providing notice to him. 
so that he can have time to seek a legal ruling in court. Now, I want you to think about this. You object to the election. You question the results of the election. You're not even at this event. They have no predicate whatsoever. Except that you work with the Trump campaign, or you know Donald Trump, or you're a relative of Donald Trump's, or you're a friend of Donald Trump's, or you work for Donald Trump, or, or you carried a sign for Donald Trump. They're going after text records, emails, your bank records, and I suppose your tax records. They're not doing that to protect Congress and the Capitol building. They're trying to unload criminal investigations against individuals on any pretext whatsoever. We have never seen this in American history. Nothing like this. Nothing. Typically, citizens learn when law enforcement agencies, he writes, such as the FBI, serve subpoenas to third-party providers such as banks or Internet companies. That allows a crucial right to contest the legality of the action in court before the documents are supplied. But when such a subpoena is concealed from the person, it prevents them from obtaining judicial review. In general, citizens learn of FBI subpoenas, and the FBI, with rare exceptions, has the power to impose a gag order or otherwise prevent the person from learning about it only if they first persuade a court that such an extreme measure is warranted by arguing, for instance, that terrorist suspect will flee or whatever. That safeguard ensures that in most cases a citizen has the right to seek judicial protection, and I would argue judicial review, from an illegal act by an investigative body. But the January 6th committee recognizes no right of any kind and no limits on its power. Listen to this. On November 23, the day after it served a subpoena on Butterwitch himself, it served a subpoena on Butterwitch's bank, J.P. Morgan. The original date for the bank to produce the records was December 7th. But J.P. Morgan, advised by letter Lynch as its legal counsel, bizarrely requested that the deadline be extended until December 24th. The day before Christmas. Knowing full well that courts would be closed that day and the next day. It was only on December 21 when Butterwitch was in Washington for his testimony before the committee. Did J.P. Morgan send him notice at his home that it had received a subpoena intended to produce the requested documents on December 24, just three days later? As J.P. Morgan and Lynch knew what happened, Butterwitch did not see the letter until he arrived home on the evening of December 22nd, less than 48 hours before the bank told him they were going to give up all of his financial records to the committee. Upon discovering the committee had subpoenaed his bank, Butterwitch's lawyers immediately advised J.P. Morgan they had legal objections to the subpoena and requested that given it was about to be Christmas, even the courts would be closed. The courts would be closed. The, the bank seek an extension from the committee to enable Butterwitch to seek a judicial ruling. But the bank, advised by Loretta Lynch, refused and told him they intended to turn the documents over on Christmas, regardless of whether that gave him time to request judicial intervention. The bank even refused to provide a copy of the subpoena they received from the committee for his records, which Butovich to this very day has not seen. Butovich's lawyers did everything possible to seek judicial intervention before J.P. Morgan gave all his financial records to the committee, but the timing agreed to by the committee, by Loretta Lynch, and by his bank, 
Documents produced on Christmas Eve would notice to him arriving just a couple days before when he was testifying in Washington made it impossible by design to get judicial review. As a result, J.P. Morgan gave all of his banking records to the committee without even seeking an extension. Butterwich was therefore left with no alternative but to file an after-the-fact lawsuits against House Speaker Pelosi and the committee members seeking an emergency injunction against the committee's use of his banking records. In response, both the committee and J.P. Morgan argued the entire question was now moot. Why? Because they already handed over the records. In other words, lawyers for the committee and Loretta Lynch created a plot whereby J.P. Morgan would notify Butterwich of its intent to hand over the documents right before Christmas so as to purposely deny him time to seek a court ruling and then use that fact that he was too late in filing as a ground for arguing that the court should shut its doors to him and refuse to even give him a hearing. The court agreed that Butterwich's request for an emergency injunction was moot, given that the bank already supplied the documents, but agreed to rule on the merits of the arguments about whether the subpoena was legal. The party's briefs on this question were submitted to an Obama-appointed federal judge, James Bosberg. The oral argument on Butterwich's request to enjoin the use of his bank records by the committee was held earlier on Thursday, and Judge Bosberg quickly rejected Butterwich's objections to the subpoena. It will now be appealed to the Court of Appeals. But the issues presented by the committee's arguments are chilling. The committee's lawyers essentially repeated the same argument they advanced in their legal brief, namely that none of the legal safeguards imposed on the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to guard against abuse of power apply to this congressional committee, which therefore enjoys virtually absolute power to do it at once. What do you think of that, fellas? That's what's taking place with Liz Cheney. Adam Kingsinger, Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, Jamie Raskin, Benny Hill Thompson. That's what's going on in this committee. This is an abuse of power. This is unconstitutional and it's illegal. But Washington, D.C. is not populated by Obama judges and Biden judges. And we have a Supreme Court that's weak and feckless. And by the way, the same argument in one of those constitutional cases that went to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania challenging what took place in Pennsylvania, challenging the changing of the voting rules before the election. The Supreme Court of that state also ruled the matter was moot. Using the same the same Houdini tricks as did this committee creating the scenario and then ruling that as a result of the scenario the matter was moot you should have raised that before the court said but the plaintiff said you wouldn't allow us okay so you couldn't raise it no you wouldn't allow us okay so you didn't raise it no that's right okay You should have. Case closed. Think about that. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Sickening, isn't it, folks? Sickening and evil. Sickening and evil. And if I didn't refer to and read from what Greenwald has written, you wouldn't know about any of this. And they're counting on this. They're counting on it. Sickening. It's like the people in jail in Washington, D.C. What's happening to them? If a media can't, can't report on things like this, can't even acknowledge some of these things that are taking place, then what good is the media? Excuse me. What good are the media? No good. No good. And when we return, over at the Federalist, this same committee... This Pelosi-Stalinist committee, with these thugs and goons on this committee, and the thugs and goons who regurgitate what this committee leaks, Tristan Justice, only 10% of the January 6th committee subpoenas relate to the Capitol riot. This sort of underscores Greenwald's point. Only 10% of the subpoenas relate to the Capitol Hill riot. And now one of the people they want to talk to is Ivanka Trump. They want her to testify under oath about a meeting or meeting she was in with her father. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. Folks, don't forget, this Sunday, a truly fantastic Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll be interviewing the entire hour, Peter Schweizer, about his book, Red-Handed. You're not going to want to miss this. People are going to be talking about this, not because of me, but because of him. The things that he has uncovered, his team. This is what real journalists used to do. But we're not dealing with real journalists anymore, are we? Dealing with propagandists and hacks. I want to jump right in, leave 
pick up where I left off. Tristan Justice writing at the Federalist. Only 10% of the January 6th committee subpoenas relate to the Capitol riot. You see, January 6th is going to be remembered for this committee. This will be a very low point in American history, particularly congressional history. Nancy Pelosi will be viewed as a very evil human being. And I use the phrase human being liberally. Only 10% of the subpoenas relate to the Capitol Hill riot. I should say he, not she. I apologize, Tristan. Um, The House Select Committee established a probe. The Capitol riot is not interested in probing the Capitol riot, he writes. According to a Federalist analysis of the 84 subpoenas publicly issued, 84, by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's Select Committee on January 6th, only eight Only eight have targeted individuals or groups with any connection to the Capitol riot. The rest have taken aim at former government officials and private citizens in a smear campaign for exercising their constitutional right to protest. You see, ladies and gentlemen, how serious citizens, serious observers, serious journalists and writers see what's going on. The 84 subpoenas do not include the more than 100 seeking the telephone records of individuals whose identities remain under seal, both from the public and from those who privacy the committee seeks to violate. You got that? People are having their phone records subpoenaed, and they don't even know they're being subpoenaed. Now, if that isn't the government way out of control, if that isn't some commie ruse, to pretend that they're getting to the bottom of the worst attack on the country since the Civil War, then I don't know what is. And never again can any person in the so-called media, any phony journalist in the so-called media contend that they're concerned about the power of government, that they're concerned about civil liberties, that they're concerned about checks and balances, because they're not Every member of this committee is dedicated to conducting a nonpartisan, professional, and thorough investigation of all the relevant facts regarding January 6th, said Representative Liz Cheney upon accepting Pelosi's appointment as vice chair. Idiot. We owe it to the American people to investigate everything that led up to and transpired on January 6th. So it's the alternative media that's actually finding all these things out, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Except the committee, absent of Republican appointments, as Pelosi's direction is far from nonpartisan. And the probe's investigation is far from focused on the security failures of the Capitol on January 6th, which we've talked about endlessly. Born in the ashes of a 9-11-style commission blocked by Republicans when Democrats refused a genuine investigation of violence on Capitol Hill. Pelosi's select committee on January 6th has remained faithful to its central purpose. That purpose is seeking retribution against political dissent while offering a smokescreen to Pelosi's own culpability and her failures to reinforce capital security. Committee Chairman Benny Hill Thompson, Democrat, Mississippi, made that much clear last summer in an interview with CNN. He said, quote, 
If you look at the charge that we have in the resolution, it says the facts and circumstances around January 6th. I don't see the speaker being part and parcel to that. According to Thompson, Pelosi's apparent refusal to approve activation of the National Guard not once but six times. According to testimony from former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund, fails to fall under the umbrella of facts and circumstances around January 6th, quote-unquote. People are on to this now, folks. They're on to it. Meanwhile, federal agencies run by Democrats have colluded with Pelosi's deputies in the House to block a genuine investigation of the security failures at the Capitol by Republican lawmaker by, uh, by Republican lawmakers kicked from the Speaker's Select Panel. Earlier this month, House Republicans penned a letter to Pelosi outlining at least four times last year the Speaker's deputies denied. Denied to provide records shedding light on the security decisions of January 6th. This is irony, in fact, at the same time House Democrats are holding witnesses in criminal contempt of Congress for raising genuine issues of legal privilege, wrote Illinois Representative Rodney Davis, a Republican. You continue to obstruct Republican access to House records relating to the security preparedness of the Capitol complex. So understand. Private citizens who never even worked in the government are having their records secretly, secretly uh, secured by this committee without any opportunity for judicial review. Republicans who seek the records of their own body, the House, are being denied those records because they will reveal that Nancy Pelosi was derelict in her duties and failed to protect the Capitol building. In October, the FBI also stonewalled Republican lawmakers who requested the same briefing given to members of the Select Committee. Out of the 84 subpoenas issued by the panel, remember, they're saying, forget about the telephone stuff and so forth, these, these public subpoenas, forget about the 100 secret subpoenas, for which an authority remains questionable after Pelosi barred Republican appointments. At least one targeted a private citizen with no connection to any events on January 6th, and we just discussed that citizen, whether it be the turmoil at the Capitol or the Trump rally at the White House. Andrew Sarabian, a Republican operative working to unseat Cheney in Wyoming. Oh, actually, here's another one. Was subpoenaed by the lawmakers committee last week. Andrew Sarabian, a Republican operative working to unseat Cheney in Wyoming, was subpoenaed by the committee. During the time period that the rally was being organized. Mr. Sarabian was overseeing a super PAC in support of Republican Senate candidates in Georgia, Sarabian attorney Daniel Bean said in a statement. Mr. Sarabian is a close friend of Donald Trump Jr. and is running a super PAC that opposes the re-election of one of the members of the committee. That would be Cheney. Accordingly, we believe this is nothing more than harassment of the committee's political opponents and is un-American to the core. 
Eight subpoenas from the committee have sought information more directly related to the capital unrest, including subpoenas to three right-wing groups and their leaders, Proud Boys International, LLC, Oath Keepers, and First Amendment Praetorian. And each of their chairmen had been summoned by the probe. On Wednesday, Nicholas Fuentes and Patrick Casey of the American First Movement were handed subpoenas based on the committee's suspicions of involvement in the chaos that unfolded at the Capitol. You believe this, ladies and gentlemen? And they're also going after phone calls and texts of Eric Trump, Don Jr., and now they've subpoenaed the testimony, I believe, of Ivanka Trump. Where's Hunter Biden tonight? Does anybody know? Where's Paul Pelosi, uh, uh, Pelosi Jr., that dumbass, excuse me, that guy? All of them sliming around, country to another country, one group to another group, trying to make money the old-fashioned way, corruption. You didn't hear any of this, any of this, from the phony media. None of it. And you're not going to. You're not going to. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. You know, these bums on Capitol Hill, they actually have texts from Sean Hannity. Then they leaked them. They leaked them. This is an investigative committee. It's an investigative committee. This is a star chamber. Has no rules from the beginning. It's had no rules from the beginning. Anyway, what do we do about this? What can we do about it? We can't do a whole lot about it, but we need to make sure that when or if the Republicans take over the House of Representatives, that this sword that these Marxists are using against us and people we like 
swings in the other direction. That it swings in the other direction. We need to make certain of this. Because if it doesn't happen, it never will stop. Never. And we can't keep allowing the the weakest link in the chain to determine to determine the progress. We cannot allow the weakest link in the chain to determine uh, the uh, the progress, because otherwise we'll never succeed, ever. In my opinion. This is a big deal, folks. This is a big deal. This committee is a rogue committee. It's, it's, it's an operation uh, of, uh, what's it, of uh, Pelosi's. That's all. Now, just to show you how contemptible these people really are, how they have no principles other than their own power. Hat tip to the Daily Caller on this one. This is from uh, what will soon be five years ago. And it is a release that was put out by Susan Collins's office, obviously with her approval. Senators Collins, Coons, this is the Democrat creep from Delaware, lead effort to preserve 60-vote threshold for legislation. It's only less than five years ago. Less than five years ago. U.S. Senators Susan Collins and Chris Coons led a bipartisan group of 61 senators in writing to Senate leadership, urging them to preserve the 60 threshold for legislation. That's the filibuster. Quote, this letter demonstrates the majority of the Senate, both Republicans and Democrats, can come together to protect an important tradition of the Senate that recognizes the rights of the minority and makes bipartisan legislation more likely, said Senator Collins. After the contentious and polarized debate of the past few weeks, I'm hopeful that this letter indicates a new determination by a bipartisan group of more than 60 senators to move forward to solve the pressing problems facing our nation. Democrats want the Senate to work, and we are willing to partner with our colleagues across the aisle if we can get things done for the American people, said Senator Coons. We have a long way to go to heal the wounds between our two parties, but this letter is a small first step towards that important goal. And I'm not going to read to you the entire letter, but this was a letter in which they opposed the nuclear option and the elimination of the filibuster. And it was sent to Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. Now let me read to you the list of senators who signed on to this letter. Over, over almost five years ago. Well, obviously, uh, let's see here. Orrin Hatch, Joe Manchin, Claire McCaskill, John McCain, Lisa Murkowski, Patrick Leahy, who has reversed course, Roger Wicker, Lindsey Graham, Luther Strange, Richard Burr, Angus King, who's reversed course, Mark Warner, who's reversed course, Michael Bennett, who's reversed course, Jerry Moran, Amy Klobuchar, who's reversed course. Roy Blunt, Bob Casey, who's reversed course. Uh, Marco Rubio, Martin Heinrich of New Mexico, reversed course. Gene Shaheen, reversed course. John Boozman, 
Tom Tillis, Sherrod Brown, who's reversed course, Diane Feinstein, who's reversed course, Shelley Moore Capito, John Thune, Kirsten Gillibrand, who's reversed course, Bill Cassidy, Brian Schatz, I must pronounce that one, Mr. Producer, who's reversed course, Heidi Heikamp, she's gone, Michael Enzi, Jeff Flake, and he is, Dean Heller, Chuck Grassley, Cory Booker, who's reversed course, Maria Cantwell, and she's not, who's reversed course, Maisie Hirano, who's reversed course, Rob Portman, Lamar Alexander, John Kennedy, Thad Corcoran, Joe Donnelly, gone, John Tester, reversed course, Ben Sass, Thomas Carper, reversed course, Kamala Harris, reversed course, Todd Young, Pat Roberts, Maggie Hassan, New Hampshire, reverse course. Bill Nelson, gone. Tammy Duckworth, reverse course. Johnny Isaacs, Tim Kaine, reverse course. Jack Reed, reverse course. Ed Markey, reverse course. Mike Lee, Debbie Stabenow, reverse course. Sheldon Whitehouse, reverse course. Bob Menendez, reverse course. All these Democrats, reverse course. They reverse course. How do they explain themselves? Huh? Well, they don't. Because they get away with it. Because they reversed course. And the media will reverse course with them. Because they're going to war. To enshrine their ideology and enshrine their majority. So the media will go with it. It doesn't matter that they're full-blown hypocrites. Doesn't matter that they're frauds who are just seeking power. Doesn't matter. Now this was found and, and posted by the Daily Caller. So we have the Daily Caller that's been doing its job. We have other entities that have been doing their job, but not, but not the Democrat Party Marxist media. All the people over the Washington Compost either couldn't find this or censored it. All the people at the New York Slimes either couldn't find this or censored it because they, they look in all the wrong places, you know. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank the new Attorney General of Virginia. He looks like he's not going to take any baloney from these school boards, from these teachers' unions, or there's superintendents. And by the way, these airwaves, I want to bring something to his attention. This is another father in the Loudoun County School District, right? Correct, Mr. Producer? They said Northern Virginia, but I think it was Loudoun County. And um, he was at a school board meeting today's Friday, two days ago. You know, rather than describe it, I want you to listen to this. Now, this is my county. My kids went to the schools here. But something has changed drastically in the last... How long would it be now? last 15, 20 years. Changed drastically. Cut three, go. I want to know the, the school's definition of sexual assault. 
because my daughter was told that she's standing right there that if it's above the clothes, it's not sexual assault. And that's the way the county does the kids here. It's, it's messed up. That's my daughter. And no one wants to do nothing about it. Suspend the boy for one day for improper touching. And I don't think that's right. So somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to look in the matter and do something because there's more kids out there that y'all not doing nothing, letting stuff slide under. And the only person that's hurting is the kids. And I don't think it's right. Somebody needs to look into the matter and, and do what y'all need to do because it, and, and, and I like to have an investigation because, because I'm pretty sure if it happened to her, it's happened to plenty of children here. So the boy who allegedly molested his daughter uh, apparently didn't go under the clothing, but on the clothing, um, was suspended for one day. And he can't seem to get a, 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 a proper response from the school system. He can't seem to get a proper response from the school system. Now, I know it's not Hollywood. If it were, something would be done. But this is really quite remarkable in a sickening way. These school systems are completely out of control. They are under the the thumb of the Democrat Party. You could see how quickly... The Department of Education Secretary, how the Attorney General of the United States, and how the Biden White House swung into action to protect the Loudoun County School Board and every school board and every teachers union across the country from criticism. Parents and taxpayers who did a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot less than what was done in the summer of 2020 when cities were burning and so forth, that were quote unquote mostly peaceful trying to usurp local law enforcement and beyond. I mean, we have to ask ourselves a question here. This is pretty terrible. Now we have a Virginia education official just a few months ago, November 2021, a few months ago. Her name is said to be Maria Burgos. Maria Burgos. And she essentially admits using a Marxist framework in the schools. Now, it's a little hard to hear. We'll make it louder. You're going to need to make it louder, too. But when we're done, I will read through the transcript. It's it's relatively short. Go ahead. I get that impression. I've been doing this work for 20 years. And what I implemented in the 20 years that I've been here is inclusion for everyone. Okay. Everyone. You're you're implementing a Marxist framework. Well, understand the Marxist framework and you'll understand in education, psychology, sociology today. Not all of it. So you're admitting that it is used. It, 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 not all of it, but that would imply that there is parts of it used. What parts are used? Well, I mean, uh, you seem to know, so could you just tell me? You seem to know. So this is a Virginia education official 
Burgos, I've implemented in the 20 years that I've been here is inclusion for everyone. The woman says, but you're implementing a Marxist framework. Burgos, well, understand a Marxist framework and you'll understand and you'll understand how it's used in education, psychology, sociology today. Not, not all of it. Woman says, so you're admitting it. You're admitting it is used. Then you hear the gentleman with a great voice say, not all of it, but that would imply that they're used. So what parts are used? Burgos says, look it up. Read it yourself. Sociology, education, and psychology. Now, when I point this out in my book, we have some clown by the name of Kazin, right, Mr. Producer? <coughs> Excuse me, a tenured professor at one of these school, these uh, colleges around Washington. They all deny this stuff, or they say you don't understand Marx, or, you know, you're just too stupid, you know. Now, this is exactly what's going on. This is exactly what's going on. And remember the media led by Joyless Reed and others? Schmuck Todd? Oh, this isn't actually going on. This is a uh, dog whistle. I think they like that phrase. They all use the same. This is a dog whistle. No, Chuck, just because you're a dog doesn't mean we whistle. They are and they do everything they say we are and we do. That's the funny part, isn't it? But she's right. She said, uh, she said the truth. She said the truth. Oh, it's Prince William County. I apologize. Not Loudoun. Prince William County. Used to be another Republican county. Like Loudoun used to be Republican county. Now it's a Democrat county. Of course, things are running beautifully. Things are running beautifully. Now, I want you folks to remember something. You're never, ever to criticize an election. Never. Because then you're just undermining the system. Because then there's something wrong with you. Now, I've heard this said everywhere. Even from Republic rhinos. On cable TV. Everywhere. Except the results of the election. Except them. Real Clear Politics, David Harsani is a very, very good writer. You know, we've, we've pointed out so many examples where the Democrats don't accept the results of an election. Stacey Abrams running all over the country, and now she's running for governor again, who believes that she is the governor. But they celebrate her. Harsani points out Joe Biden joined Schumer, of course, numerous other Democrats, to try to preemptively delegitimize the 2022 election. Yes, he did. And uh, he says, for people lamenting the big lie, this is nothing new. Trump's election fraud conspiracy theories have been endlessly documented. He says, sometimes it sounds like he's merely appropriated language from the Democrats who've been playing this ugly game for years. He said, during Trump's first impeachment, ahead of your times when we were still pretending to care about the fate of Ukraine rather than inviting Vladimir Putin to take a slice, Democrats argued that ousting Trump was a precondition to a fair election. Pelosi warned colleagues that maintaining the position that elections should decide Trump's fate was dangerous. 
and only adds to the urgency of our action because the president is jeopardizing the integrity of the 2020 elections. In other words, you got to get rid of Trump or there can't be legitimate elections in the future. Adam Schiff, one of the leading culprits in the Russia collusion swindle, concurred. He said the president's misconduct cannot be decided at the ballot box, for he cannot be assured that the vote will be fairly won. Never once, incidentally, have any of these people offered a scintilla of evidence demonstrating a single person's vote was changed, altered, or appropriated by Trump or Russians or anyone else. Yet at one point, a healthy majority of Democrats claimed to believe that Putin had altered vote tallies. How many Democrats still believe it? Again, something we've touched on. These days, it's difficult to recount the slew of bizarre Russia hysterics and various other fantastical stories taken up by Democrats and their allies in pursuit of undermining trust in the 2016 election. The 2020 contest, just in case. Remember those insane politicians chaining themselves to mailboxes as if they were holdouts at Masada? Democrats spread pictures of locked mailboxes in places such as Burbank, California, a hotbed of contemporary white supremacism, no doubt, that were actually meant to stop criminality, not voting. Pelosi called back the House for an emergency session to deal with the quote-unquote crisis, remember that? Of operational changes, quote-unquote, made slowing the mail and jeopardizing the integrity of the election. These turned out to be routine, cost-cutting reforms. We, I did an entire TV show on this. Which Pelosi knew well. It was another effort to corrode trust in the 2020 election and advocate the anarchic COVID-era voting regimes that Democrats now want to normalize in every state. They list to say political journalists did not stalk every elected Democrat demanding their solemn attestation to the sanctity of the 2016 presidential election lest they be expelled from society as apostates of democracy. Far from it. Hillary Clinton claimed that Trump was an illegitimate president on numerous occasions, later advising Biden not to concede under any circumstances in a close race. And when Democrats were gaming out a potential 2020 loss... A scenario that didn't look that different from 2016 with a big popular win for Mr. Biden and a narrow electoral defeat, in other words, a legitimate Trump victory. Leading Democrat Party strategist John Podesta playing the role of Biden to refuse to concede the race. Steady alleged voter suppression and then persuaded Democratic governors to, of Trump won states to send pro-Trump electors to the Electoral College and try to steal the election. That was one of their scenarios. And in another scenario, a Democratic House unilaterally named Biden the president. Good memory by Mr. Harsani. But hey, that was then. This is now, man. This is now. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. 
You get great coverage. You can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Well, I have to bring you this sad news two New York City police officers were struck in a shooting in Harlem tonight days after a 16 year old boy allegedly shot another officer in Brooklyn a NYPD an NYPD spokesperson confirmed that the officers have been shot near 119 West 135th Street in the NYPD's 32nd precinct And apparently they're both dead. Apparently they were murdered. Tonight. Two police officers in New York City. We don't have any details. We have no uh, specifics. I'm going to be monitoring this. The What remains of the program an hour and ten minutes, give or take. We'll keep an eye on this. But say prayers for their families. This is so completely out of control. So completely out of control what's going on in this country. Guns. It's guns. No, it's people. It's violent rat asses. It's prosecutors who don't prosecute. It's politicians who politicize crime. And make crime a... Too many ways a good thing. A tolerant thing. If a real sickness in this society, really thorough sickness in this society. Beautiful young people being slaughtered, police being murdered. No respect anymore for the civil society or human life or the rule of law. I wonder how that happened. I wonder how that happened. We know how that happened. I'm almost at a loss for words anymore, what goes on in this country. I really am. The classrooms, pulling down monuments, the trashing our founding documents, the, uh, the, the slander of a whole race of people, white people, open borders were, among others, killers and rapists and perverts and drug dealers and MS-13 come across, and the government not only does nothing, it waves them through. Meanwhile, our political class is busy trying to destroy Donald Trump while he's out of office and destroy the Republican Party. Our Department of Justice is conducting itself like the old Soviets, with American citizens rotting in jails who haven't even had a trial yet because they were on the 
capital property. We have uh, all kinds of economic dislocation as a result of these economic socialist priorities being imposed upon us. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. More on the the murder of the two police officers. This is from the New York Post. Two NYPD officers, one a rookie, with just over a year on the job, were shot dead while responding to a domestic violence call today. In Harlem, multiple police sources said the gunfire erupted just before 6.30 p.m. inside an apartment. Um, One of the officers was struck in the face by gunfire. The suspect was also fatally shot. The NYPD urged residents in a tweet to avoid the area. Mayor Eric Adams was headed to a Harlem hospital where the officers were rushed after the shooting. The unidentified officers, this is unbelievable, are the fourth and fifth members of the NYPD to be injured by gunfire so far in 2022, but they're dead. They weren't just injured. I mean, these were young officers. One joined in November 2020 and the other in 2018. The shooting comes a day after an NYPD detective was shot during a drug bust on Staten Island. There, Dominic Labretti, the injured detective, suffered a potential career-ending injury when a suspect fired numerous shots at police through a bedroom door. On Tuesday, Officer Kasim Pennant was shot in the leg while struggling with a teenager suspect in the Bronx. He was released. On New Year's Day, Officer Keith Wagenhauser was hit with bullet fragments as he sat in his car outside East Harlem Police Station after a shift. Now imagine, you're sitting in your car outside the police station and you get hit. There seems to be systemic attacks on the cops. That's what I'm seeing. Systemic attack on the cops. This is pretty unbelievable. As I said, we'll be monitoring this. As soon as we get any more information, I will inform you. And while we're on this subject, there was a great piece in Breitbart the other day, The Soros Dozen. Big city prosecutors backed by George Soros. This SOB, this bastard's never yanked before any committee to testify about anything. He's never investigated about anything. As far as I'm concerned, he has blood on his hands. He uses his billions to destroy. Unbelievable. Left-wing billionaire and Democrat donor 
writes our buddy Joel Pollack, George Soros has turned his attention in recent years to local races for prosecutors, using his money to elect so-called progressives who push so-called criminal justice reform and support the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, I spent a lot of time yesterday talking about what took place 80 years ago, didn't I, Mr. Producer? The Final Solution, 1942. I went into great detail about it, like I don't think anybody else on radio ever has. And the best Media Matters could do, this Soros Front organization, was to accuse me of comparing the Nazis to Black Lives Matter. Completely ignoring the entire context of what I was talking about. That how could you, after the Holocaust, be an anti-Semitic organization was my point. They didn't write a word about anything I said about what happened 80 years ago. They didn't write a word about the final solution, except in the context of trying to, of course, destroy my character and my name. Because this is a Soros front group. And as most of you know, as a young teenager, he assisted a Nazi He's since come up with one excuse after another. But that's the sugar daddy behind the American Marxist movement. That's the sugar daddy behind groups like Media Matters. That's why they wrote what they wrote, rather than point out that this is something, this 80th year of the planning of the final solution that deserved the kind of attention that I gave it. But they're incapable of it. Because they're part of this whole crap movement. The rise of these Soros-backed prosecutors has coincided with a massive surge in murder and crime in many Democrat-run cities. Including many where these prosecutors have implemented radical policies toward policing and incarceration. And most recently... L.A. District Attorney George Cascone has faced criticism for his radical so-called reforms in the year since he took office, while murders have soared. The city last year experienced 397 murders, up 11.8% from the 355 the previous year, and a 53.9% increase from the 258 in the pre-pandemic year of 2019, L.A. Magazine noted. It's becoming a hellhole. I'm just telling you, I've been there. It's just dangerous. It's filthy. These murders included the shooting death of Jacqueline Avant, a black philanthropist, and the wife of legendary music producer Clarence Avant, who was killed during a robbery in her home. Gascombe blamed the system for her death. More recently, a young woman, Brianna Kupfer, remember her? working at the furniture store, was stabbed to death in broad daylight in the furniture store where she worked. Her alleged killer was an out-of-bail for 2020 arrest in L.A. and a 2019 arrest in South Carolina. Many of the candidate sources backed have received support directly or indirectly from a network of groups with the names like Justice and Public Safety Pack. 
The Influence Watch website describes Soros's organizations as the, quote, Safety and Justice Network, a project of left-leaning billionaire George Soros. They used a network of similarly named state-level PACs to finance the campaigns of what they call progressive Democratic candidates for DA in more than a dozen America cities. Now, this includes supporting the election in L.A. of George, George Gascon, of supporting the election in Chicago, Cook County, State's Attorney Kim Fox, of supporting the election in Philadelphia of District Attorney Larry Krasner. These are the worst of the worst. Supporting the election in Houston of Harris County DA Attorney Kim Ogg. Dallas County District Attorney John Cruzat. San Antonio, Bexar County District Attorney Joe Gonzalez. Phoenix District Attorney Paul Penzone. St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner. More? East San Francisco Bay Area Costa, uh, Contra Costa County District Attorney Diana Beckton. Manhattan District Attorney New York Alvin Bragg. Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby. Looks like she has some problems on her own hands. Orlando Ninth Circuit Judicial Circuit State Attorney Moncue Worrell reaches into all these cities and more. But George Soros, you don't see him talked about much in the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost or any of these so called media platforms. He's not yanked before any committee. Maybe if the Republicans take the House, that will change. Maybe not. I'm quite serious about this as well. All right, we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution. Against all freedom-loving Americans. So, you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492. 800-630-1492. Or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. You know, uh, When you have somebody like a Joe Biden making some of the most important decisions a country can make, and not just for our country, but for allies, and also for our enemies, 
who do we hold responsible? Who do we hold responsible for having such an irresponsible, incapable, incompetent person as President of the United States? Now, obviously, the people who voted for him, but I don't mean that. The media, his wife, and his family. I was the first to point out that Jill Biden and his family did a tremendous disservice to the country, and in her case, to her husband. But I'm more concerned about the country. She knew full well, she knew damn well he was incapable of governing. She knew he was on the downslide. And I'm, I'm not one of these, mock, you know, so be it. That he was in absolutely no position to be the president of the United States of America. The media in America knew this. They knew it full well. And yet they did everything they could to, to hide the truth about the man. Even put aside all the corruption and the rest. Who else? Barack Obama, Michelle Obama. They knew quite well that Joe Biden was not capable of sitting in that office. It's probably the reason why Obama didn't endorse him right off the bat. It's only very late in the game. These people, and many, many more in very important positions and influential positions sat on their hands. Sat on their hands. These people know. And these people knew. Every neurologist in the country watching Joe Biden knew full well that he was incapable of being president of the United States. The relatively few media types that had access to him knew full well. Schumer knew. Pelosi knew. This just shows you how bereft of morality and love of country these people are. They knew he would be a foil for whatever they want. They knew it. They just wanted to get anything they could from the guy. And they also knew Kamala Harris. Even on her best day. Couldn't serve as president of the United States. Because she couldn't make it through a campaign. Because she's so dim-witted. More dim-witted than the guy that is really, quite frankly, neurologically, scientifically, medically dim-witted. And here we are today. We have a man in the Oval Office. President Trump picked it up immediately. We did too. We have been the man in the Oval Office who, who basically suggested that if Putin wants to go into uh, Ukraine, we obviously would throw all kinds of sanctions at him, but it was likely to happen. You, you can't give a brighter green light to a maniac than that. So he sends his 
is useless Secretary of State. Everybody else is uh, Pasaki, the idiot to the idiot. She's out there. Everybody's running around saying he, he didn't mean what was said. No, actually, they didn't say that either. They said, clearly, Joe Biden has said this, and clearly the Russians know, and clearly, and clearly, remember we mocked that last night. Clearly, Joe. And so everybody's running around. Even Andrea Mitchell had to notice. Again, the press, even though they're unserious about this, and they're not going to do it for the, for the long haul, they want to defeat any Republican, particularly Trump. But for their own even ridiculous effort to try and salvage some level of a reputation, and they can't. They said things like this. Cut nine. This is Andrea Mitchell on the morning schmo today. Go. There's clearly disunity by the allies as to what the sanctions would be uh, in the if there were an invasion, and as you know, there was damage control immediately from the White House, again from the president, reading from notes and not ad-libbing yesterday. And mm-hmm. Lincoln has been in damage control mode ever since. And that's that. No critique of the president. No concern. The same guy who's involved in dealing with Communist China, Iran, which is getting nuclear weapons as I speak, nothing. No big deal. Listen to this one. Jen Psaki on The View today. She's all over the place. Cut 10, go. But here's what's important. And we learned a lot, I will say, from 2014 and the tactics the Russians used in 2014 and since then when they invaded Ukraine. And so what the president was getting at the other night is that they don't just use military and tanks. And and we're very prepared for them to do that. And they may. And that could happen tomorrow or a week or several weeks from now. We don't know. We want to be very transparent with the public about what to expect. But we also know they use cyber attacks. We know they send what's called little green men in, which is basically Russian military who aren't in uniform. And so and we know they also use social media to push propaganda. We've already we announced yesterday a bunch of sanctions for actions they've taken to date. We're working with all of our partners around the world. And the president has been very clear with President Putin that if you invade, there will be severe consequences. And of course, Putin's scared to death. Have you noticed? No, I don't think he he is, do you folks? No, I don't think he's scared in the least. He's not worried in the least. How can that be? Afghanistan did everything. What happened in Afghanistan revealed everything. That if he's not going to take on the Taliban, he's certainly not going to take on the Russian military. In any effective way. And that's exactly the circumstance we're in today. So... As everybody knew who has any common sense whatsoever, what he did there was provocative. What he did there would help create more situations in which wars can be unleashed as opposed to less. And that's why in the Middle East, the Israelis and the Gulf states are trying to figure out what to do with Iran. That's why Taiwan is scared to death. Big problem. I'll be right back. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read this secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution, against all freedom-loving Americans. So you need to read The War on Cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. Nobody says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said, because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. There's the man. There's the man. All right, Mr. Producer, let's do what you suggest here. Who do you recommend that I speak to? I don't have the call screen up yet. What the hell is wrong with my call screen now? Why won't it let me in? Yeah, hold on here. Let me try this. We're live and national. My God. I can't figure out how to... uh, Hold on now. Nope, that's not working. All right, let me do this first, folks. and then Well, let's do that. Bob from Virginia. Where in Virginia, Mr. Producer? Vienna, Virginia, the great WAB cell. Bob? How Hello, Mark. Sir? First of all, thank you for taking my call, and thank you for all that you do. Um, you. you were speaking earlier in the broadcast about the local school systems here, Loudoun County and Fairfax mm-hmm, County, and mm-hmm. I guess one or two of the others that I might have missed. One of the things that's lost in the discussion of these school districts is the structural issue of their massive size. I mean, look at Fairfax County Public School System, 178,000 students, 200 schools, 25,000 employees, and a $4 billion-plus budget. I mean, for parents to take these people on um, at, at the local level is almost impossible. No, 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 not no, as big, no, but no, 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 I don't agree with that in the least. They need to be able to take them on. They can't be discouraged from taking them on. Just need to be better organized. You need to remember that two-thirds of the people who live in these school districts don't even have children going to these schools. So if you're saying it's daunting, I will agree with you. But I'm not going to say it's almost impossible. We've seen some changes already. We really have. Uh, but, you know, if these changes aren't going to happen overnight. You've got to fight for them over a course of decades. Go ahead. No, I, I'm not discouraged, Mark, but I think that the structural issue needs to be addressed in a well, way... Well, it does. But these unions need to be broken up. You know, when the antitrust laws were first adopted, primarily under Theodore Roosevelt, uh, they excluded unions. Did you know that? Yes, I did. But Well, but, why but should look. unions be excluded from public, uh, public sector unions in particular, teacher unions in particular? Why should they be excluded from antitrust laws? They shouldn't be, and I think that's one part of the if strategy. If big is bad for business, why isn't big bad for uh, for uh, teachers' unions? No, I agree with you. I agree with that. That's one element. But think about it another way. Right now, these very powerful unions, the NGOs, 
that are pushing leftist ideology, the federal bureaucrats in the education department, they can focus their attention on a very small number of decision makers in these public school systems. If you broke these up, if you took Fairfax County public schools and you broke it into 20 or 25 smaller divisions, school boards that had 15 to 20,000 students instead of almost 180,000, the ability of the unions and the ability of I don't of necessarily the- disagree. I'm not sure that would fit. We have 15,000 school districts, and these unions seem to operate pretty easily among them and between them. 15,000 in this but you, country. But, but, you know, if you look at what's happening in the D.C. capital But you actually area, think a blue state's going to break up their school districts? Well, Virginia's got a Republican governor. I said blue has- states are going to break it. I know, but that, that's Virginia. You know, Loudoun County and Fairfax County in Virginia, and this is a place to to pilot. So there's a national show. I'm saying that in blue states, they're not going to break up the school districts because they don't want to break up the unions. Agree. I agree, but let's work where we can. All right. I don't disagree with that either. I don't disagree with that either. All right, my friend. Thank you, Mr. Producer. I'm going to have to figure this out. It's not broken. I just don't know what buttons to press here. Let's have another uh, another caller, please. Frank on the Mark Levin at Boston, Massachusetts. Frank, what the hell are you still doing there, bro? I'm having I'm having trouble hearing you, Mr. Levin. How are you, Frank? I am. I'm having little trouble hearing you. Uh, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, Mr. Producer. I can yell into the microphone. Yes, how may I help you? Yes, I can. Thank you. I, I first of all wanted to say it's, it's hard to concentrate after your news about the poor policemen, and I hope oh, yeah. God, God blesses them. It's mm-hmm. just terrible. But Awful. what I did want to talk to you about was, was when you talked about the private pr- property in Massachusetts, the mm-hmm. rights. It's even worse than you suggested. Because with the Atlantic Ocean going all the way up and down and on the Cape and all, mm-hmm. a lot of the old houses, which are the expensive houses, uh, have title rights down to low water. In other words, to, to as far down as the water goes. And now a lot of the towns are attacking that and saying, no, it has to go up either the high water or, or even all the way up to the local street. And that's going to kill, absolutely kill, property values along the coast in Mass- in Boston and Massachusetts. What is with these people? What, I mean, it's just incredible to me. Just leave people alone. Just I, leave people alone. They can't do it. They won't leave people alone, will they? No. Nah. The town that I'm in has probably 75% or 80% of its its revenue from from property taxes on on and they'll be cut in half and so it's oh it's, it's a terrible thing and it, you know what's going on in the news the newspapers now don't even talk about it anymore it's uh but everything everything that you said about property rights are absolutely correct and i hope people pay attention to you on it well, but people want to, what do we do about, what do we do? Okay, never vote for a Democrat again. Never vote for a liberal Republican again. You know, things of that sort. Uh, and uh, there's other things, if you look at Chapter 7 of the book. 
And I'm not hawking the book. I'm just saying if you have the book, and many, 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 many of you do, almost 1.3 million, take a look at Chapter 7. All right, my friend, you sound like a very, very nice gentleman, by the way. Mr. Producer, whom else should I speak to, please? XM Satellite, Kalamazoo, Michigan, Steve. How are you, Steve? Very good, Mr. Levin. Thank you. Good. Very good, Mr. Levin. Yes, I'm really humbled to be on your program. The last time I was this humbled, I was on Limbaugh's program some years ago, and I really appreciate That's a reason to be humble. Yeah. Get right ahead, my friend. I appreciate that. Thank you. If you'd allow me, I'd like to share with you my family, Democrat, become Republican background, and then my question, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. As long Uh, as you don't take the whole show. But go ahead. No, sir. No, sir. My parents were uh, delegates to the 1972 Democrat Miami Convention, and when they came out of there, they said, we're not Democrats. Mm-hmm. And we started looking, and we found a former Democrat who ran for president in 1980 and became Republican. And we really liked what he said. Ronald Reagan said, mm-hmm. I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we've been Republicans ever since then. And I was, re- I was just awed at the articles you read the Glenn Greenwald article, and the others. And the question that I have is, do we live in the USA, which the United States of America or the United Socialist of America? Mm-hmm. Now you're right. Can you believe that this committee is doing this and the media are all for it and on and on and on? It's just absolutely unbelievable. I agree with you 100%. All right, my friend. Some wonderful, wonderful callers. I really appreciate you folks. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution. Against all freedom-loving Americans. So, you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492. 800-630-1492. Or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. You've heard me talk about this before. A member of my family, two members of my family use this, Mr. Producer. Did I ever tell you that? They love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Genucel.com. G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com. Special promo code MARK35. Check it out, folks. 
All right, great. I lost my entire screen. To whom shall I speak, Mr. Producer? WRPW Bloomington, Illinois. David, how are you? Mark, I'm doing fine. Thank you for taking my call. First and foremost, give yourself some more credit. You are a national treasure on the same plane as Rush Limbaugh. Well, (laughs) I certainly don't know about that, but you're awfully kind to say what you just said. Thank you. Sir, I've been listening to you for many years. And you give a different perspective, and that is you educate us. Not only on the news, but government. And and with that, you know, peop, more people need to look at this new book you have out. Mm. It, well, it, thank you. Well, I mean, you spent a lot of time, in it, like I say, education. And people got to realize we are the government if we only take control back. I plan on doing that here locally in the next week with our city government. It, really? It's time to tell them to stop. Constitution is the Constitution, and they should abide by the law itself. Absolutely. They make it, but they don't seem to like what they impose on all the rest. It's another thing that's unbelievable. I mean, I can't remember a time when politicians were so obnoxious as this. I mean, they've always been obnoxious, but not like this, where they rub your nose in it. Exactly. Anthony Scalia, the great Anthony Scalia said it best. They hear us. They just don't listen. Exactly. I want to thank you, my friend. Great call. We had a lot of good calls this evening. I want to thank you all. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but this is in honor of you, my blessed, wonderful audience. Here we go.
and gentlemen, please don't forget, very important Sunday show, Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern. If you feel drawn to one of these football games, please DVR the show. You really aren't going to want to miss it. Me and Peter Schweitzer, red-handed. It, it's it, it's going to be jaw-dropping. It truly is. We salute our armed forces, police officers, and we're deeply sorry about those shootings. Firefighters and emergency personnel, good night all my little pups. Deeply, deeply miss you. And good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. And good night, Joe.